automation works when it's built by those who know the workflow best, not by IT or developers in another team or department. Are we building this because it allows us to sell something else to another team? Are we adding complexity for business reasons and not focusing on what are the needs of the, the privacy team? Well, when I hire, I'm always asking myself, what is this person bringing that we don't already have? Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Privacy Pros podcast. My name is Jamal and I'll be hosting you today. And on the show today, we've got a fantastic guest. In fact, it's someone I've actually been fortunate to meet in person. And we was at the Risk Exhibition together and really got on. And his passion for operationalizing privacy and the challenges they're solving inspired me so much. I was like, Pedrick, we have to bring you onto the podcast. And I've actually given the name of our guest to it. So let me go ahead and introduce him. Pedro O'Leary is the co-founder and CEO of QueryLayer, a privacy automation platform for scaling businesses and enterprise. He is passionate about promoting the legal and ethical use of data in the enterprise. Dr. O'Leary was a research fellow at the Irish Software Research Center, head of data at the Center for Applied Research in Connected Health, and assistant professor for software engineering at the University of Adelaide. Pedrick, welcome to the Privacy Pros podcast. Well, an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. Right, so Jamila's not here today. She's not feeling well, so we hope she gets better. But if she was here, she would have loved to ask you, what is your favorite flavor when it comes to chips or crisps, whatever you want to call them? Oh my, in my younger days in Ireland, chicken curry and chips was a big favorite, uh, particularly after a late night. I, that's going to be my answer. Uh, chicken curry oh, chips. <laughs> what about now? Now, you know, I'm in my, I think, uh, a slightly more um, health conscious, I guess. Not eating uh, as many chips. No, I'm not days. part of the diet anymore. Good stuff. So, guys, <laughs> top tip from Pedri. If you want to be an amazing privacy professional, you need to focus on your health. And what we need to do is cut out those chips, cut out those crisps. <laughs> awesome tip. Pedri. So my question is, I've just read out your bio. You had so much academic experience. How did you then move from academia into actually uh, privacy? What got you into privacy in the first place? There was a number of projects I worked on in the past, which had, had quite like sensitive data was, was key components and handling sensitive data. I think probably the formative experience for me was a, a startup that I worked on. So I, I built a startup that worked with facial expression technology. So it was... Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a platform that connected facial expression reading to online survey companies. So this allows us to to capture like people's emotional reaction uh, as they interacted with digital content. 
It was about 10 right. years ago. At the time, it, w- it was quite new and none of the major cloud providers were providing it. I suppose there was something that, that possibly did not sit that well with me with, with this whole space. Some of the very early computer vision models back then, they demonstrated a lot of bias. And the further you went down the rabbit hole of, of measuring people's reaction to digital stimuli then using those reactions to try profile these into buying personas, the more uncomfortable it felt. Eventually, the, the, the company was actually acquired, mainly because of the, you know, some of the core technologies that we built. But I guess from that experience, I made a promise to myself that the next startup that I, I worked on uh, was going to work much harder at promoting the better use of personal data. And I think my move into, into query layer was probably motivated by that experience in the, the darker arts, I guess. Uh, that's quite a fascinating story. Thank you for sharing that, Pedro. So, so here's one more interesting fact before we jump into query layer about facial expression. So when I was researching into this and seeing how facial recognition and emotional expression is actually used, I, I came across a study by a university in Canada, I believe, and they had said, okay, when it comes to facial expression, it's based on the features you have on your face. So we have our eyebrows, we have our eyes, we have our nose, we have our mouth, and we have our lips. And they said, look, when it comes to actually mapping those expressions and understanding them, there's one feature that is more important than all of the others. Do you know which one that is, Pedro? I'm going to say corner of the eyes. Is the eyebrows. Yeah, I was actually going to say eyebrows. And then yeah. I, I thought, yeah. I that quite fascinating. I thought it would have been something more like uh, maybe the, like the eyes or something. But it turns out yeah. apparently it's the eyebrows. My top tip at the, at the end of the session uh, really was, so if you don't want machines to read your expressions, shave your eyebrows. <laughs> You know, I, I guess that's why they have the expression of lying eyes, you know. So so you could you can fake other emotional responses, but but the lies always reveal the soul, I guess. All right. So um tell us more about query layer. What what does query layer actually do and who is it right for? Query layer is a software platform that helps teams to operationalize their, their privacy programs with actionable data maps and workflows for cross-functional teams. So our philosophy is, is to focus on helping teams automate the tools that they already have within their organization. So an example would be when it comes to DSR management, our customers would use query layer to orchestrate the existing tools and ticketing systems that they have. And so we're not trying to like push in a new solution. It's like, okay, so how can we leverage the tools you already have and make them work for the privacy program? Automation works when it's built by those who know the workflow best, not by IT or developers in another team or department. So query layer itself is no code workflow building. So giving like frontline privacy team members automation superpowers. That's the core idea. Okay, well, that sounds amazing. Essentially, businesses have different tools they might be using. They might be doing some processes manually. Where they have existing tools, query layer comes in and says, hey, we can help you really map this and do a workflow. So now it becomes automated. And because it's actually no code, you don't need the IT developers to build it so things don't get lost in technical translation. It's actually the people who are using it. It's an easy peasy way of automating it and being able to respond to those faster. So, for example, when a data subject access request comes in, you have a month to make sure you get it done. But if you've got high volume, if you've got seasonal volumes because something's happened, then that can often get quite challenging. And for my privacy colleagues, don't worry, we know it does get a little bit stressful because you want to make sure that yeah. Because the single biggest source of investigations from data supervisory authorities from complaints seems to be when a subject access request hasn't been responded in a timely manner. 
And so if we can eliminate that, it's going to take out a lot of the extra work that comes along with that, alleviate the stress and make you feel like, hey, I'm a super privacy pro. All of this happens by magic. What kind of businesses exactly. is this right for, Patrick? Scale-ups, companies that are heavy users of cloud services, they're a particularly good fit for you know the, the type of solution that we provide. But really, it could be any type of company, any place where you, know, you have a privacy or data protection team who are looking to build a privacy program then a solution like query layer can really, really help. I think one of the things to, to note, Jamal, is that like the starting point for any of these is still a comprehensive data map. Before you even think about automation or operations or, or workflows, you need to know what personal data you have and where it sits. There's two, I suppose, conventional approaches to, to solving the data map problem. The first is manual mapping, which is slow, or the alternative mm -hmm. is e-discovery, which is invasive, right? So e-discovery, you're going in, you're sampling, you know, real individuals' data in order to build a picture of the types of data. And, and both are, are quite expensive, both in terms of time and, and, and cost. And so, you know, before we even start talking about workflows, we like to do like responsible data discovery. So something where we promote rapid discovery of the data map, um, leveraging the existing systems, that you have within the organization to build a picture of the personal data and to do this in a low-risk way by not actually touching personal data, by looking at how that data is described. So effectively, what we're doing is we're mapping the metadata of your system to build that data map. Got it. That, that's a really added bonus there is essentially going back to what we teach at the Privacy Pros Academy. Like whenever you do something, uh, we talk about the C5 methodology, and this is essentially everything we teach our mentees and we do in practice on the consultancy side. And the first C of that C5 methodology is clarity. If you have no idea where the data is, what data you're processing, what you're doing it for, then you're, it doesn't matter what tools you have. It doesn't matter what you do. There's never going to be confidence in what you're doing, and you're always going to be worried that you're not compliant. So by doing that mapping, first of all, in a way that isn't manual, so it's not taxing and it's not costing lots of money and you don't have to hire lots of BAs and bring them in for contracts and stuff, you can actually use something like Query Layer to map all of that. And the benefit of using Query Layer over some more conventional uh, tools is that it's less invasive. It's not actually go and touch and scan and see all of the data. It's something that is done in a more respectable way. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. Very good, Jamal. Uh, exactly. All right. Perfect. So then once we have the clarity, it brings us on to our second C, which is confidence. Now, the private team is confident. We understand what the processes are. We understand what data we're collecting. We understand how we're using that data. We understand who gets access to that data. We understand who we share that data with. And we also understand what happens at the end of the life cycle and how it actually gets deleted. And all of that will get actually mapped into query layer. And then you go into mapping the separate processes, the operationalization of the actual privacy processes. And then you can actually automate that. Is that is that the kind of journey you go? Yeah, exactly, Jamal. Yeah. So start with data mapping, you know, and, and this is a real scoping exercise. You know, if you're going to build a privacy program, then you need to know the scope of the challenge for that privacy program. And that's why data mapping is always the first step. And then once you have a data map, once it's comprehensive and, you, and it's accurate, then you want to maintain that data map because all data maps drift over time, system changes. The, the type of personal data that is being processed by these systems drift, it changes. 
and and so do the processing activities associated with these data repositories. So, you know, the second step is then maintaining your data map. And then the third step is, okay, so now we have a data map. It's accurate. It's maintained. So now what are the types of operations that we want to build on top of this data map? What's the type of reoccurring work, you know, that consumes a lot of our time as privacy professionals or, or, or team members? And how can we leverage automation or, or human-in-the-loop automation, as we like to call it, to become more effective, efficient in, in how we run the privacy program day-to-day? Uh, -day? All right, awesome. So basically, three steps to success. Number one, do the mapping. Number two, now you've done the mapping. Do the assurance to make sure that it's up to date and you're maintaining it so all the changes are being reflected. And then three is how do we make it easy peasy to automate that and get it done now that we know what's going on. Exactly. As a company, we're we're two years old, so we're a younger solution in I suppose in this whole privacy space. We're also like a, a smaller company with more limited resources, which forces us to be quite, I suppose, subjective and opinionated about how you would design a solution for privacy teams. That this sort of natural limitation on resources actually delivers, I think, some quite interesting results. It forces you to deliver a solution that, that is very lean, that focuses on the simplest ways to deliver maximum value. Privacy as a space is incredibly complicated. What I see is that a lot of the existing solutions mirror that complexity. So we see a lot of like complex enterprise B2B software that are like super configurable. But but that types of like configurability in the solution, it comes at a cost. And that cost is the time of the privacy teams in order to adapt that solution to their to their context. And that's why we focus really on on simplicity and time to value. And that three step approach that you just mentioned there, you know, we see that as a, the most effective and the most efficient way for a privacy program to get up and running. We we support that both and what we do and, and the solution that we provide. Yeah, I love that simplicity factor. I mean, you'll hear we talk about easy peasy all the time. That's the kind of heart of everything that we do. We need to make things easy peasy, easy peasy for the clients, easy peasy for the customers, easy peasy for everyone involved. And what it sounds like is Query Layer, you've taken that easy peasy and you've really looked at what's on the market and saying, what are the challenges people have when they go and get a tool and a solution? You know what? It's going to take too long to learn. They need to have some kind of technical expertise or skill to be able to actually use this. I've got so many clients who are really frustrated. They've gone and got the tools because they were sold by the ad advertising. But now they realize that, number one, they don't have the time. Number two, they don't have the skills. And number three, they don't have the know-how to actually get the benefit of this. So they're tied in, and at the end, what do they do? They don't actually renew those products. When you go and get a product that's easy-peasy, you don't have to hire additional resources and eat into your budget, but it's actually simple as one, two, three, and easy-peasy, then you can see how you can actually start adding those benefits. Actually, by automating it, once you've got the mapping in place, it actually frees you up for more time. So you can focus on the things that are going to move the needle to get a privacy program for where it is right now to the next step you have and actually get more hands-on with some of the things that you've been putting off because you've been so busy responding to requests and doing some of the other assessments. Exactly. And I, I think like privacy is such a complicated space. I think we all know that. So many layers of complexity that the last thing you want to be doing when you're building like a solution or a privacy program is just adding other layers of complexity on top of that. It's, it's something that we focus really hard in is how can we make this, I don't want to use a bad word, so I'm going to say as like almost this kind of like aggressive focus on simplicity. Like, you know, so anything that we think about doing, we're asking, you know, really what is the value to the privacy team? Are Like, are we building this because 
it allows us to sell something else to another team? Are we adding complexity for business reasons and not focusing on like what are the needs of the, the privacy teams? On that? And I think the first need is simplicity. Patrick, lots of people listening will be like, okay, you know what? This is actually going to solve a lot of my problems and I want to explore this. If somebody wants to come and have a look at how the tool works or get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to get an idea of what this, what the, what the potential is and how it could actually help them in their privacy program? Yeah, sure, Jamal. So, you know, when you invited me on, on this podcast, I was delighted and I was thinking, well, uh, you know, is there something that, that, that maybe we, we could do in return? So uh, I'd like to take the opportunity to offer all Privacy Pros listeners a complimentary data gap analysis. So if you're a privacy team, then we will do an exercise that will basically build a detailed inventory of your data repositories, both internal and external. So including your shadow IT, and then compare it to your existing data map and records of processing activities. So a type of sanity check for your existing data map. We will then produce a report for you, which will identify which repositories do not have an associated processing activity, and then help you to identify the tasks, you know, the prioritization based on the level of risk associated with each repository. Yeah, and completely free of charge. And if there's anyone out there who just wants the sanity check, existing data map, their existing Europa, then we'll be very happy uh, to help them. Let me get this right. You've just offered to do a gap analysis on people, the records of processing activities, both internal and external, including any shadow IT support services they may have. And then you're going to put all of that into a report so they can compare what they have against what they against the report to see if there's any gaps. And you're going to do all of that for no charge whatsoever. Exactly, Jamal. Exactly. Yeah. Guys, Christmas has come early. Now, Patrick, <laughs> this podcast goes to goes out to about 10,000 engaged listeners every month. And we think we're in over 124 countries and counting. So, guys, if you want to take advantage of this crazy offer, I don't think Patrick knows exactly what he's uh, just giving away. But if you want to <laughs> Go and get a gap analysis, get clarity in your program so you can get that clarity. Be confident that your data mapping is actually reflective of what it should be so you can move forward credibility across the business and make sure that you're compliant. Then the best thing to do is to get in touch with Patreon, take advantage of this free gap analysis he's offered. And the best thing about it is there's no risk to you whatsoever. You just need to get on call with every one of his team, explain what it is that you're doing. They're going to take care of all the heavy lifting, and then they're going to produce a report which you can show to your colleagues, you can show to your board. And if it's really, if it holds lots of gaps, maybe you don't even want to show anyone, you want to keep it to yourself. But at least you will know where the gaps are, and it gives you an opportunity to go and do something about it. We're going to put in the description, uh, in the links, a link to query layer, so you can go there directly and take advantage. If you're listening on Tuesday, then make sure you get in there first, because I'm not sure how many of these paid week is going to be able to honor. And so you want to make sure that you get in there, because I know he's going to have to copy out something. He just said they haven't got the biggest team in the world, and what they do is focus on quality. So if you want to be in with the chance of getting that, then don't waste any more time. Pause the podcast right now. Let it play in the background. Go and click on the links, which you can see right below you, and sign yourself up and your company up to take advantage of that offer of a gap analysis. Okay, so Patrick, coming back to the actual questions, one of the things you spoke about, and I can see you've got so much experience in, is actually that automation. What do you think is happening in this space when it comes to privacy automation over the next couple of years? 
I think like there's a, a number of trends that we're, we're starting to see in this space, a focus on integration and interoperability. So, mm. uh, you know, like privacy programs are demanding that they can integrate seamlessly with their existing infrastructure and, and business processes. So I think there's going to be a focus on interoperability and, the, and this kind of seamless flow of work across systems. So the privacy team might be working with, with a particular solution but they need to be able to translate that work to other teams in their native tools. So what I mean by this is that if you want to build collaboration across the organization, then you can't drive other teams you know, to your solution. If they're using Jira, then you need to communicate with them in Jira. If they're using Slack, then you use Slack. But as a privacy team, you need to be able to orchestrate the work that needs to be done and communicate that work using the native tools within these teams. So interoperability, that's going to be key over the next few years. Last year, in particular, was a big year for this trend of like shifting privacy operations left. Uh, you know, it's this, this concept of that yeah. companies that build software products and design services using, using code, that they want to build privacy controls into the software development lifecycle. So Similar to what we see in vulnerability scanning or security scanning in code bases, we're going to start to increasingly see privacy scanning within software developers' uh, lifecycle flows. That, that makes absolute sense. And you know, <clears throat> I love it. One of the things that I really advocate for all of our mentees um, and, and privacy professionals that we're helping to become world-class leaders is if you want to be a world-class privacy professional, then you can't have people, you can't wait for people to come to you and meet you where you are with all of your credentials, with all of your knowledge. You have to go and meet people, your colleagues, your peers, your clients, your data subjects, your customers. You have to meet them where they are. And essentially, you're saying the same thing, but you're saying from a technology point of view, you can't wait for the teams or you can't force teams to come and meet you where you are with your tool and your solutions. You have to go and support them where they are with the tools they're using that are working for them and find a way of integrating with those. And this word interoperability you mean, you, you've been using is basically saying, look, it doesn't matter what you're using. We have a way of connecting with you and we can support you too. Exactly. That's a, that's a great way of summarizing it, Jamal. Thank you, baby. I, I, I do my best to make sure that I show all of my mentees that I listen just the way I teach them to listen on the program as well. And I think communication skills is a big part of that. But now our technology seems to be a lot of that talking. And I think you're absolutely right. If we want to see real enhancements in privacy uh, automation space, and it is about going and saying, hey, we can meet you where you are. It doesn't matter what you're using. It doesn't matter how you're using it. We're going to find a way of coming and working with you. And I think that is actually going to be one of the uh, crucial steps of great privacy programs compared to those more broken ad hoc privacy programs is the ability to go and integrate with the rest of the business where they are without forcing them uh, to come and make some changes. Because one of the biggest challenges I speak about with my colleagues or with my uh, men mentees is it, whenever we want to go and make a change to the business, you have to understand that operational disruption is a massive penalty. And the moment you're asking for that change, you're asking the business to absorb that penalty. Unless you can actually show them the benefits of doing that, there's always going to be resistance. And it's not about blocking. It's about making sure that we actually go towards that positive sum by getting buying. But if we can minimize that disruption by having the interoperability, then that's going to be a game changer. And I'm really excited about what you're building and where the future is taking us. Yeah, I, th I think affect change. It's a key strength that a well-performing privacy team need to have.
You've had a awesome career journey so far, and it seems to keep continuing going from strength to strength. What advice would you give either to your younger self or to those privacy pros who are either looking to pivot their pro pivot their careers or actually looking to reignite those careers? And maybe they've been doing something for a few years, and now they can see like the potential of what we're achieving through the academy. They're like, you know what? I want that too. I want that freedom. I want that fulfillment. I want that success. I want to be the go-to expert in the privacy space for my niche. What three bits of advice would you say are your top advice to them? First, there are not as many areas as fast moving as privacy. You know, not only do we have, do we see the regulatory environment, the case rulings and how they impact day-to-day privacy, but we've also had the tech side, right? And the data side. Every job requires someone to invest in staying abreast, you know, of, of what's happening. But in privacy, it's on another level altogether. So part of our responsibility of privacy professionals is to make sure we're on top of that. So that needs to be part of your job every week, every day, to make sure that you have a good source of information for what's happening in our industry. Second would be specialization. I think very important that you have an understanding of privacy regulations, best practices, but we, we increasingly we see the importance of specialization. So what piece of expertise are you bringing to the, to the field? to the market that differentiates you, you know, from the peer? Like what, what extra value are you adding? And that could be a type of technology, could be an industry experience. But when I hire, I'm always asking myself, what is this person bringing that we don't already have? And then my third piece would be around community and networking. So a, a good network is, is critical to success in any career. And um, I think Within privacy, we've, we've some great forums for that, such as, you know, IAPP conferences and, and different events. But you should also try seek out smaller specialized communities where you can build deeper connections. So, for an example, we have a, a small community of privacy practitioners, people who are building privacy programs day to day. And then within that, we have monthly webinars where people talk about particular issues that they're having in the um, implementation of their privacy program. And these small kind of communities are great ways of building your peer network, building deeper relationships, and, and getting valuable feedback. So I would say, when you think of networking, think about, you know, and building your network, think about large events, but also find your small community, find your local niche community where you can build those deeper relationships. These super hot tips there, Patrick. You are on fire today. When we get up to the good, you're going to have to stay behind and tell me what your morning breakfast routine is because I do whatever you have. So let, let, let me summarize what I want that's good. So Patrick's just shared his three awesome super tips, and it's actually not just tips. Um, he's giving for the sake of it, but it's actually exactly what it looks when he's hiring privacy pros. So this is coming direct from the source. So this is going to be something that you want to pay attention to. And if you haven't got pen and paper, you should know every time you listen to a podcast, you need pen and paper. Paidrig has just dropped some awesome gems. So he gave us three top pieces of advice for how you can really make your career jumpstart. And if you've already jumpstarted, how you can now take it to the next step and reignite it. So the top tip number one was, listen, privacy program, it's fast, it's moving, it's evolving. And it's not just the laws and the regulations that are evolving. And there's some kind of guidance coming out every other day from Europe, from the US, from other parts of the world. But technology is also evolving. So we need to stay aware, we need to stay relevant, and we need to make sure we have our ears on the ground. So find a way of making sure that you can actually stay up to date and stay relevant. 
Twitter is a great way of doing that. There's lots of amazing Twitter threads. Um, I'm not as active on that as I'd like to be yet, but look out for me. LinkedIn is a great source for that. You need to make sure you're following the right people. And also every Wednesday on my LinkedIn profile, you'll see that I post updates to help us all stay relevant. So make sure you follow up for that. Every Wednesday morning, I post industry updates, everything you need to know from across the globe. I give you the bite size. So you just need to go. And if you're more interested, you can follow the links. I make it easy peasy for you. Also, you can join our newsletter where we share these updates in a lot more detail once a week. We're not going to try and sell you anything. We don't talk about anything else. Once a week, we just let you know everything you need to know. And at the bottom, we will plug in amazing bits from the podcast. So make sure you sign up for that. And we'll include the link for that in here as well. So staying away, non- top tip number one. Number two, uh, Patrick said, okay, so why you? What makes you different from everyone else? And the challenge I have when my mentees join the academy is they're so busy trying to fit in, but actually they should be doing the opposite. What they should be doing is being outstanding. And it's those outstanding people that magnetically attract opportunities to them. It's those outstanding people who can show the value they bring. So what Patrick is saying is, what is the additional value that I get from you that I'm not going to get from anyone else? What are you bringing to my team? Where is that additional value that I can't find of everyone else who's just got those basic IAPP certifications? What is it that you specialize in? What is your niche? And by finding your own niche or niche for American listeners, by finding what it is that you specialize in and where that intersects with privacy, not only are you showing how you're outstanding, but you're showing that I can offer something to the business that nobody else uh, can. And one of the things we speak about when we're actually on the, uh, on the coaching is for you to get hired, you have to prove three things. You have to show what makes you unique. You have to show what makes you different and you have to show what makes you superior. And what Pedrix just said in one kind of um, top tip takes all of that and just makes it easy peasy. So find your niche, find your specialization and find what it is that makes you bring more value than any of your competitors or other people going for the role. And that's when you will get headhunted for those opportunities. If you're a consultant, you can pick and choose the clients you want to work with. You name your rate, they're not going to get this value anywhere else because you're a specialist. They're going to come to you. And I think, Pedrick, that's probably been the number one thing that's really helped me in my career when it comes to the consultancy is finding our niche and speaking to those customers who really want that pragmatic, uh, simple, easy peasy without the complexity. And we do that better than anyone else. And that's what's really helped me, you know, get my brand out there get in on interviews with BBC, get on interviews with ITV, get on radio, being asked to speak at keynote events. And I think if you take nothing away from this, then just take that one thing is find something where you can specialize and go and do that and own that space. And then the third thing um, you said, which is actually when we look at our C5 methodology, the last thing we have, or the last C we have is community. And I believe it's so important, just like Pedrick, to have that environment around you of people you can trust, a safe space where everyone has got the same mindset, everybody wants to do well, everyone is passionate about privacy, and you're keeping each other updated. But not just that, using your global experience, using your cultural experience, using your industry experience to come together to help each other solve those problems, stay up to date, have a look at something a different way, Offer resources so you don't have to waste time. You can actually go, you can use it as a sounding board, you can offer advice and value. And we've got some great communities. So we have this thing called the Privacy Pros Network, Patrick. So anyone that comes and joins our academy, we've had this WhatsApp group. And essentially, it's full of people from all over the world uh, that have joined our programs. And all we do there is support each other. There are some people who will be 
the same place where you are, so you'll grow together. There's some people that's going to be way ahead of you. You're going to learn from them. And there'll be other people who are not yet where you are, and you get to support them. And by helping each other out, that is truly how we grow. And what unites us is this vision that we all have where we want every woman, every man, and every child on this planet to have freedom over their personal information wherever you go. And we realize in order to fulfill this vision, our mission is to make sure that every organization that processes personal information does that in a way where they're doing it openly, honestly, and transparently. And your tool there really comes in to help them automate some of that to make sure that everyone can actually enjoy their rights. One of the things you mentioned there, use cases, was just responding to something like a subject access request. We can see how we can start using technology to enhance that. And one of the things we actually talk about in the forum is the tools that we can use. So when someone comes across a great tool, they'll be like, hey, I came across this tool. Or someone's like, I'm looking for a solution for this. What do you think? And instead of having to go and do all of that research, you can actually go and speak to people who are actually using it, have been using it, and get their experiences. So you don't have to go and pitch something that you're unsure about, and you can elim eliminate all of that risk. But you know what? Pedro just made an offer to anyone to say he's going to do a free gap analysis on all of your ropers. So you don't even have to worry about those things. Go in there. Uh, the first thing I'm going to do, Pedro, after this is get that link and share it with my community before this podcast even goes live. Sorry if you're listening to the podcast, guys, but I got to look after my community, right? And if you want to join the community, get in touch, DM me on LinkedIn, email us, whatever you need to do, get in touch. We're more than happy to help and we'd love to see more people join our community. And then Patrick said, look, there's some great communities. You've got IAPP community. You can go to conferences. You can go on LinkedIn. You can go on all of these places. But you can also carve out your specialist niche community, and which is what we have at the Privacy Pros community. But everyone you've listened to on the podcast, everyone that inspires me and my um, students on the Accelerator program, we've got this platform on Signal and that's where we really exchange the top-level ideas and have really fascinating discussions. And Pedro, one of the things I haven't shared with you yet, but we also want to thank you and for coming and giving up your time and sharing these valuable gems on the podcast. I'm going to invite you to join that community and you'll be amongst all of the other people you've seen on the podcast, uh, some people who have not yet been published and other people who are just inspirational in this space. And it's going to be a great place uh, for you to learn, contribute, and also thrive in. So thank you for those three lessons. So guys, I've been doing a lot of talking and I went off tangent a little bit. Let me just sum up Paybig's top three tips. Number one, stay aware, be relevant, make sure you're up to date. Number two, make sure you find a specialization. Find your niche. What is it that you specialize in that brings added value that they can't get anywhere else? And number three, stay connected. Find it, create an environment or go and join an environment where you've got like-minded professionals solving problems that's going to help you stay up to date, support you, and you can also give back and support people because only when we give back and help others, they push us to the next level. Did I do you justice there, Patrick? Absolutely, Jamal. That was uh, uh, an amazing overview. All right. So I've got one more question for you, Patrick, and uh, it's an opportunity here for you to share. Can you share a story, your most memorable client story? I'll uh, share two short stories, Jamal. <laughs> okay. Patrick, you're always over-delivering. <laughs> I, I ask you for one, you give me two. I ask you, give up your time on the podcast, <laughs> you give up time on the podcast, and you come bearing gifts. Where do we yeah, find more people like you? That's what we're all about with Query Lair. That was a shameless plug, uh, Jamal. <laughs> One of our early founding customers, and founding customers are, are, are really super important for a startup because they can really influence the, the future direction of, of um, you know, that, that you take. 
Um, we were yes. very fortunate that one of our early founding customers was a data protection team at a at a tech company that were very heavy users of SaaS, and they had yeah they had quite a large I suppose data uh, environment, and so you know they were struggling to build their source of truth for their data protection program. You know, like what was right. what was the scope of the challenge that they had, and they had spent months basically using combination of manual processes and and conventional lead discovery to try build this data map. But but all they were getting was kind of snapshots in time from the manual efforts and partially c- complete ones from from e discovery. And so you know, I think working closely with them, we were able to build this this kind of responsible data discovery engine and, and, and solution that focused on metadata and time to value. That's, that's memorable for us because it was one of our early success stories and it also heavily influenced the direction that we took. I think on a more personal level, I worked on this smart home deployment with the Irish Health, Health Service in Dublin. And we, and we worked on a, on, a, on a smart home deployment for people with early onset dementia. And this was a project that was undertaken with the Irish Health Service. But but the participants were at the very start of their journey with this condition. Like for me, like the real personal takeaway was the fragility and the sensitivity that they had about the data that we were collecting. And I think like sometimes privacy can be very abstract. When I think about privacy on a personal level, it's maybe something to do with like photos of my kids. But, you know, and that would probably be the strongest, let's say, emotional connection to privacy. But privacy really matters. And I think as an industry, as a collection, you know, we need to remember that, that sometimes we get focused on the technical sides or the regulatory sides. But privacy is something deeply personal. And I think we're very lucky to work in an industry which can have such, uh, yeah, I suppose, a personal impact on people. I think sometimes it's easy to forget that, but that privacy it really does matter. And uh, I think we should all be proud you know, to work in an industry or to work in an area that, yeah, can have such an impact. I think one of the things that I'm reminded of time and time again is when you impact somebody's right to privacy, that also starts impacting on some of the other rights. And that's why the right to privacy is so important. And thank you for sharing uh, uh, those two stories. The second one was particularly warming. It's about how we can see that privacy touches everything. And people with early onset dementia, um, you've got to work with the health service and just reminding you about the value of what you're doing and why what you're doing is so important. And it reminds all of us privacy pros why we do what we do and why we love doing what we love to do. It's because it's such a powerful thing, which is often easy to overlook because we just get a little bit lost in the abstract of the technology. But actually, it's at the core of everything that we do and everything that we are. And that's why in Europe, we recognize it as a fundamental right. And we can see some of the atrocities that happen in other parts of the world. For example, the Uyghur community in China, uh, what happened in Nazi Germany, what happened in other parts of the world where people had to flee from those countries because they didn't want to be spied on by the state. So privacy is so important. And Patrick just reminded us about why we get up every morning to do what we do and love what we do and how it's so instrumental in helping the lives of many. Eric, you've been an absolutely amazing guest. Now, if Jamila was here, she would give you the opportunity to ask me one final question before we go. Uh, so I'm going to extend the same courtesy to you. What question would you like to ask me? You, you get great insight into, I suppose, what are the early career challenges that you see amongst people who are trying to get into privacy? I think, um, yeah, so so what would you say are some of the, the biggest barriers to people who are trying to get a start in um, in our industry? 
I think the biggest barrier people are getting started is they is it's fear. It's it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. Like they're not really sure what the role entails. They're not really sure what the right certifications are, and they're not really sure what they need to demonstrate to get in. And a lot of people are like, "Look, I've been doing this for five years, six years, seven, eight years, ten years, and I'm actually quite comfortable, but I'm not getting the fulfillment, or I'm not getting that work-life balance, or I'm not getting to do something that energizes me. It's just become very routine, and I can't actually see where my career is going. And I'm looking for an industry where I can actually take my career even further. And so." They actually don't want to lose what they have and start again. And this is where what you said earlier is so powerful about adding more value. You're not losing anything. You're bringing that value you already have and you're adding privacy on top of it. So what happens sometimes is people will go and join some of these groups. And when we spoke about communities before, it's very important to make sure that you go into the group with the right mindset rather than the wrong mindset. Because early on in my career, Patrick, I went and joined every WhatsApp, Facebook, LinkedIn group I could find. And most of them had people who just wanted to get into privacy because it paid well. They didn't really care about understanding the hearts of the issue or why this was a human right and how it impacts on other things. And all they was like, oh, you know what? You can do this certification. You don't even do this certification. And here's some answers. Here's some question downs. Um, and they had this really poor mindset a really fixed mindset and a really scarcity mindset that, you know, there is not enough roles out there and there's not enough opportunities and just keep this stuff to yourself and uh, just go and pass an exam. That's what you need. But it doesn't matter what exam you pass. It doesn't matter how you approach things unless you actually care about what you do, unless you can show to the business, people like Pedro who are hiring privacy pros, that you understand what you're doing, you have clarity on what you're doing and you have the right attitude and activity. Nothing else matters. So what I would say is my biggest top tip is get over the fear. Punch fear in the face. Don't feel like you're going to have to start again. And don't feel like you're going to have to, you know, forget everything you've uh, learned all this time. You're already coming to the table with that value. And now you're going to add privacy. And if you take Patrick's tip, you're going to find a niche that you're super focused in. And then you have to add three things. You have to add your motivation for the role. You have to add your motivation to actually be able to demonstrate that you want to work for a particular company or in a particular space. Like, why do you want to work in this space? So, for example, if Pedrick was hiring, he would want to know why someone is passionate about using technology to enhance privacy programs or how we can help customers respect people's rights faster or respond to them faster, how we can make sure that businesses have the confidence they need using technology. There has to be a motivation why. Once you kind of jumped over that hurdle or you've met that requirement, then you have to show that you're actually competent in what you do. And when it comes to competency, a lot of people have this limiting mindset or this false belief that competency and experience are the same things. And they say, well, look, I can't go for these roles because I don't have experience. But that's not true. When someone says, hey, you don't have enough experience, they're not actually saying you haven't been alive for long enough or you haven't done this privacy role for long enough. What they're saying is, because I can't see any evidence that you've actually done this before or that you know how to do this, I don't believe you're competent in doing this. And therefore, we're taking a risk when we hire someone. We think you're a bad risk to take. We'd rather go with someone who can demonstrate they have done this, they know exactly what to do, and they're going to do a great job for us. So how do we overcome that barrier of experience? It's by getting those skills to show that you can operationalize that knowledge into practice and that you know exactly what you're required to do. You've got good experience or good knowledge of doing it and you can go and help them too. And that's where our accelerator program really comes in is we don't just focus on the theory. We focus on giving you those pragmatic and practical experience and tools so you can actually do this stuff so you can demonstrate that competence when you're going to speaking to somebody like Patriot. And then the final challenge 
is actually the attitude. The, the person you are, what are you bringing to the table? Are you going to fit in with the rest of the team or are you going to be annoying or are you going to be difficult to work with? And that's the first thing you have to kind of um, help people understand is how do you demonstrate you're going to be a great cultural fit? How do you demonstrate you're going to come and gel with the team and you're going to actually add value to the team and you're going to enrich the team rather than be a drain from the team and cause more problems and waste time and energy, and then they're going to have to replace you. And all of that comes from having the right mindset, having the right assumptions to be an awesome privacy pro, to be an awesome privacy leader. And we go through all of this in the mindset program elements of the Accelerator program. But my my favorite um, assumption that I empower uh, my mentees with, Patrick, is you have to come in believing that everyone is doing the best they can with the knowledge and resources available to them. And it's up to you as the privacy pro, as a privacy leader, to then go and meet them where they are and empower them to see things differently, to do things better with kindness, rather than, oh, you know, you guys have no idea what you're doing. You should be doing that. You're not allowed to do that. They're not privacy pros. And when they come and ask you for stuff, they're subject matter experts in what they do. And there's no point regurgitating articles to them or reading out or rephrasing uh, EDPB guidelines. It doesn't mean anything to them. Where you add the value is being able to make that take that and translate it to them in a language that they understand. So they actually understand, oh, I now have clarity of what that means and I'm very confident of what I need to know. And that also makes you look credible. The moment you start opening your mouth and start spouting legalese, people think it makes them look intelligent. It actually doesn't. It just says, I'm never gonna get on with you. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not gonna bother coming to you. I'm gonna try and figure out the answer somewhere else or I'm just gonna say it's your problem kind of thing. Uh, so that, that, that's, I don't know if that answers your question, Patrick. That, that's essentially what I have to say about that. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I, I won't attempt to summarize it, but, but I, I think the point is well made. Thank you, Patrick. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing all of those gems on the Privacy Pros podcast and for that gift that you've offered to all of our listeners. I look forward to speaking with you again. Guys, make sure you go and check out the links. Connect with Patrick on LinkedIn. Make sure you go and get your privacy cream Uh, that free gift is offered. And I'll see you on the podcast this time next week. Until then, peace be with you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five-star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast, or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.